Daniel, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm a big fan of the podcast. It's uh, awesome to be on here and um, uh, super cool to be on a podcast that my brothers uh, appeared on. I think, you know, pick up uh, my sister-in-law and you've got, you know, all of the all of this generation of this family. So, yeah, 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 absolutely. I will definitely reach out. Um, I'm very interested because, you know, I feel that from your brother's perspective, I feel the theoretical part of entrepreneurship, but now it feels like you're the practical side of it. Now that I, I get a sense of what you're doing and I would love to dive deep into your trajectory as an entrepreneur and how did you end up having this, you know, this right now your background is just a virtual background, but someday you may be doing a Zoom interview from the moon. So talk to me about that. Yeah, hopefully. I don't think uh, so far the plan doesn't involve sending me up there. Um, I'm not sure, uh, you know, I'm in good enough shape to head up there anyway. But uh, yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting uh, uh, trajectory. I think, you know, similar to how we were talking before the call, like, uh, you know, I think the entrepreneurship uh, is in my blood in many capacities, in, in many uh, senses, like, um, you know, I've had a, a number of different jobs. My whole career really was in uh, commercial real estate, real estate development, um, uh, real estate, private equity, uh, uh, distress investing, and stuff like that. I always found myself within organizations, I think, pushing up on uh, power structures, right? That I think often in the corporate world, like people just want you to come in and uh, do the task assigned to you. And, you know, in many ways, I think excelling in the corporate world involves never really questioning why or how. And I, I really look at like the only jobs that I really loved. And I think they were ones that allowed me to question, you know, how or why, like the, uh, my first boss, uh, um, uh, in in real estate, a guy named Bill Pringle, who used to be the president of Brookfield, he, uh, you know, on the first day, he said, look, tell me anytime you think I'm wrong, and you think you have a better idea, just be prepared that I'm going to come at you full speed, you know, so be prepared to defend yourself. Um, you know, and I think those are good environments, but they're rare in the corporate world, you know, and so um, I found myself going through a series of jobs where uh, you know, I, I always had ideas about, you know, different ways to approach things and felt very constrained by, uh, uh, the limits of the corporate world. So, you know, I ended up, um, starting, uh, about five years ago, the first cannabis real estate investment company in Canada. I'd, I'd, uh, been living in the States for a while and then moved home, was working at a, a junior real estate investment bank, um, in Toronto called Marine Co., and uh, started to get all these um, cannabis uh, companies that, you know, around the time that Canada started to legalize cannabis and they were coming in looking for financing. And it was just something that nobody wanted to deal with, um, you know, and from a corporate perspective, it's like, oh, well, we don't really want to take the time to figure this out. And I'm just like, you know, as an entrepreneur, I'm like, well, if nobody's taking the time to figure this out, then, you know, that's just what I'll do. I'll go out and, you know, de-risk this market and realizing that you make returns, uh, you know, outsized returns going into a market while it's early and there is a high level of risk and, uh, you know, is therefore kind of further up on the uh, risk spectrum. Um, and so th that was kind of like my first foray entrepreneurship. I started Sensi Properties, which was the first cannabis real estate investment company in Canada. 
um, you know, focused on sale leasebacks and other types of, of financing, and then you know got involved in uh, investing in a bunch of cannabis businesses, and as was an early player in that uh, industry, which is um, still at its early stages of maturation. But um, uh, yeah, that's that's kind of how I got involved. But you know, I guess it was this natural process where you know I was never really good at uh, at taking orders and not questioning them. Um, you know, and always had too many ideas of my own. Wow, that's amazing. And as, as you say, the main question when one gets into a job place and, and begins his or her career is, will I be able to unfold comfortably heal? And one of those aspects has to definitely do with the ability to question the the route. And now that you were able to finally get out of the corporate sphere, you realize that you want to be or you want to send others to the stratosphere, to the moon. So tell me, how in the world are you coming up with a plan of, you know, going to the moon? What is this about? I would love to, to dive deep into your vision of sending Canadians, maybe, maybe only Canadians, maybe not, to the moon. Yeah, well, right now, you know, we're certainly not planning on setting people. I think we want to enable people uh, to go to the moon, um, you know, enable the technology to allow that to happen. So you know, I can't say I did this on my own. Um, you know, I, I have a, a partner, a co-founder in the business, Dieter McPherson, um, you know, and he's a lifelong space nerd, has been thinking about this stuff for a very long time. You know, he's a he's a super geek, uh, as he likes to say. And, um, you know, we started talking during the pandemic kind of uh, uh, beginning of the pandemic about, you know, uh, some some interesting investing ideas that got us um, uh, looking at uh, helium uh, and helium three, which many people have uh, uh, he, he had realized there was a shortage on Earth relative to the future uh, fusion reactors. Um, and so we started joking about like where we could get helium three. Mm -hmm. um, and it turns out there was a bunch on the moon. But then we started looking at the moon seriously in, in terms of mining. And, um, you know, uh, there was no market for helium three in the, in the near future. That's something that's much further out. But there was an immediate need from NASA and others in the international community. There was this whole return to the moon that's going on over the next couple of years that people are just not talking about enough. Um, and people are not really paying attention to in the same way that you know, uh, Apollo was able to catalyze and the space race was able to catalyze so much attention. People are not paying attention to it. But, you know, NASA uh, and the international community is putting a new space station around lunar orbit in 2025. That's called Gateway. It's going to be like a new ISS. It's going to go around the moon. Astronauts will live there. They'll run experiments down on the surface. Yeah, that's already being built. Right. Wow. Um, and that will be up there in 2025. Uh, uh, China and Russia announced their own plans to build a moon base uh, in 2025 or a space station. They haven't quite made that clear, um, uh, you know, in parallel with that. And then NASA wants to have settlement in the moon by 2030. You know, so you're talking eight and a half years from now, settlement of the moon um, by humans. Um, and so, you know, that's a very tight timeline. Um, and we realize there's this need really um for a, a new supply chain. So right now with human uh, technology, where we, where we are as a civilization, we get to low Earth orbit or LEO, where the space station is, et cetera, around 400 uh, kilometers 
um, and we run out of fuel. So we burn 90 to 98% of the fuel getting out there. Um, In order to refuel in space, you need to fly up more fuel from Earth. And that's just extremely inefficient because you burn all the fuel getting up there. Um, And so in order to scale as a civilization and become interplanetary, right, to go off to Mars, to go back to the moon, you know, to explore the solar system, we are going to need to figure out how to make a new supply chain that exists outside of Earth's gravity, outside of the limits of Earth's gravity. And so the moon is really uh, uh, the place to do that. Um, You know, there is uh, most rocket fuel uh, by weight, you know, in terms of ratio is actually oxygen. So there's a ton of oxygen in the lunar soil, the dust that's behind me in this picture. Um, That dust is 40 to 45% oxygen by weight. So you can process out the oxygen out of that. Then you've created, you know, uh, oxygen and air for life support for humans in space. You've also created most of the weight of the fuel. Um, There's also happens to be a bunch of uh, water ice on the moon uh, in the permanently shadowed craters of the North and South Pole. That gets you hydrogen, right, as well as oxygen. Um, And that's uh, a rocket fuel, essentially, as well as water for humans to survive in space. Um, and so all these things are really kind of the base layer of us becoming uh, interplanetary, of us uh, developing outer space and being able to, you know, have uh, space stations, space hotels, humans living and working in space. That whole dream that people have been thinking about, you know, for really hundreds of years. Um, uh, but, you know, especially since kind of the 60s and the space race came around, um, that's really realized by, you know, what's called in situ resource utilization or uh, uh, making oxygen and other uh, supplies on the moon. Wow, that's that's incredible. I didn't know that those time frames, those time frames are mind boggling. I thought it's you- mind boggling. Yeah. Like um, I wasn't paying attention to this previously. Right. And I think as you start to pay attention and you start to look at all the news that's out there on the on the daily, there's new stuff about this happening every day. And there's yeah. there's countries all over the world working on various parts of it. Um, it. It's a really exciting time to be alive. Yeah, of course. And I, I would I generally thought that maybe if I'm, you know, older, being very, very old, like a, an old person, I would be seeing the just the cusp of it. Right. But it seems that technology has exponentialized and our abilities to think forward are becoming less and less limited as as you put forth maybe the pandemic in and of itself create allowed a space for us creatives to think outside of the box and for you of course you did it with your company canadian space mining corporation it's very interesting to see all of the science behind it and you touched briefly on the politics, you know, China being a player, the U.S. being a player, Russia being a player. And there's this moon treaty that there's only like 19 countries signing them, meaning that they're trying to sustain or rather keep safe the moon, to put it very, very in simple terms. So do you think this gold rush, quote unquote, for the moon can create a new space race at tensions between nations, how do you see the the collaboration going outside of the world of planet Earth unfolding? Well, look, um, you know, space has generally been an area where, uh, uh, you know, civilization has come together in the name of science to collaborate. Um, but there are tensions 
going on and have been, you know, for a very long time. I mean, there's long histories of, you know, uh, secretive missions with uh, the U.S. military and the Russian military. Look, the Russian military, you know, blew up that satellite uh, earlier this week, creating all that space junk, uh, endangering the uh, space station. Um, you know, so uh, but I think the moon, quite frankly, and the development of the moon, um, you know, and settlement of it has the opportunity to continue to be an area of international collaboration. Right. Yes, it could cause tensions and there's lots of stuff that could cause tensions. But look around on Earth, there's no shortage of areas that can uh, cause tensions. I think, um, you know, the collaboration within the lunar environment um can be an area which fosters uh, interconnectedness among humans, um, a collaboration between nations on on science, on technology, um, and on some of these kind of common problems. Yeah, I, I like that perspective, and it can create a like the blue marble effect, right? Watching yeah back to the Earth and and seeing that we're just one big marble. On 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 the Moon Treaty, I mean that you know that's a document that's kind of like dead in the water, right? Um, yeah. No major spacefaring country has really signed that, um, and so so that's uh, you know dead in the water. There's um, the Outer Space Treaty, which is yeah. the main binding kind of document around space that never conceptualized um, private actors in space, right? So that was nation states. Um, you know, and and so a lot has changed since then, right? It's clear that the you know Elon Musk's of the world uh, are really leading here. It's no longer just um, governments, right? And so we now have to think through frameworks of like how do we deal with private companies operating in space, uh, you know, ostensibly on their own, maybe under the under the uh, supervision of governments, but. You know where where governments themselves are no longer kind of driving the missions and the objectives. There's the Artemis Accords that were signed uh, last year, so uh, October of uh, 2020, um, and those were for commercial use of extraterrestrial resources, um, and that's really been snowballing. So th that's been the main kind of new document that's been building consensus around the world about what to do vis-a-vis uh, -vis, you know the moon. Mars, uh, asteroids, etc. Um, but a lot needs to be figured out. Uh, given the timelines of people returning back to the moon, though, you know, I think it's likely to be figured out in some capacity over the next like five to 10 years. Uh, hard to say exactly what that will look like from, uh, you know, treaty or geopolitical perspective. Yeah, that's exactly it. I was my next question was how are private entities pricing in the equation of space exploration? Because now we're seeing private entities just running the show more than more than nations, and it'll be just a very interesting manner. Maybe what if Amazon, or well, not anymore, but what if SpaceX declares independence in the moon? <laughs> what will happen then? What will happen if you share territory with Elon Musk in the moon? How would that unfold, you know? Yeah, that, I'd say that's beyond me. I, I, I'm not sure, um, you know, but there's a lot of interesting questions, right? Like this, uh, like you're asking, you know, we enter into a lot of these different scenarios. You, ha you have, you know, very soon, and I don't know at what point it is, um, you know, space for space transactions, which are happening where you have two parties transacting goods in outer space that are completely decoupled from Earth, right? And from there, it's like, not only are we, decoupled from government we're like completely decoupled from earth right um you know like when if we're selling oxygen liquid oxygen 
some other party in space that's been manufactured in space, you know, none of that has come from Earth in any capacity. So you're you're entering into all sorts of like philosophical, uh, social, political, economic um, uh, scenarios, which, you know, a lot of smart people in the world have probably been thinking through for a long time. And a lot more work is going to be need to be done, um, you know, over the next kind of decades. But it's uh, I think we're at a point where the thinking has been theoretical for a long time. And these things are really coming to a head over the next I'd say 15 years, right? I think Musk's talking about doing a a Mars mission in 2024. So, you know, uh, you know, this stuff is, is, uh, uh, coming up very quickly. Um, you know, and you, you could have someone declaring, uh, uh, that there are their own nation out there, you know, does that fit within UN laws and do the UN laws even matter at that point, if they are their own nation and their own country, like, you know, at what point are the UN laws relevant? Yeah. Uh, you know, if they don't consider them relevant, are, are they still relevant? They're probably still relevant to the people on Earth. But, um, yeah, it's it's super fascinating. It is. It, it genuinely is. And it, it'll be very interesting to see maybe policy being written by Star Trek fans, you know, <laughs> trying to organize uh, a civilization from outer space through really our vision of what could really be through our movies, through our series, through our books, it'll be just mind-boggling. Well, I, th- I think when you when you uh, meet with and you pe- talk to the people who are in the space agencies and the space companies at a very senior level, like these are Star Trek fans, right? Yeah. These are people who who grew up thinking about um, you know th- this optimistic side of space and what it can be for you know. Um, um, you know, the shared benefit of humanity, as well as all the things we can do in space to advance technologies for the benefit of Earth. Um, and so, so there is this great kind of uh, optimism and romanticism uh, that's out there within, you know, uh, what you would think is these uh, rigid government bodies, you know, they're made up of, of people. And obviously, you know, the government bureaucracy and framework uh uh, uh, limits that to some some extent, but I, I think a lot of these people have you know grown up uh, a loving space, uh, uh, living it, and, and and having these dreams. And now you're starting to see a point where the technologies come around uh, uh, to where that um, you know is, is being realized right now. Yeah, and allow me for for a moment just to play devil's advocate for both of us, for both for you and for me, because I'm a huge romanticist as well in in this this area but i've been thinking since we agreed on this interview i've been thinking on our relationship to to resources here on earth to to the environment here on earth and what concerns me is that i feel that planet earth hasn't really been or isn't a finished project in a sense we we haven't conquered all of the problems that are we're facing such as a climate crisis such as resource extraction or resource allocation and relationships between between people. So how can we ensure that our bad manners, our bad habits as a species don't extrapolate into outer space and the moon as a whole? Yeah, I, th- I think there's uh, a several ways there, right? So, you know, first off, I'd, I'd agree, uh, we haven't really done a great job with the Earth. Um, you know, I think we need to, we're faced with some really major problems, uh, uh, climate change, um, you know, our just approach to our consumer economy is completely broken. 
right? Um, you know, people are so uh, wasteful, they consume for no reason. Um, you know, a, a lot of that stuff needs to change, but that's probably beyond the scope of, of just this conversation. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that's that's part of our our fabric as a, a company is is coming from that kind of viewpoint. Um, you know, Canada has really been uh, and, and built a brand around the world as a responsible resource leader. Um, so uh, leading the world in uh, responsible resource extraction and, and approaches from that perspective. We're not going to be the only party, you know, active in the lunar environment. So we think that, you know, we have no control over what other countries do. We think Canada uh, can play a really strong leadership position in uh, establishing, you know, the right ways to approach uh, this um, uh, in in terms of responsible resource use. Um, but it's going to, you know, be upon the international community uh, at a policy framework perspective to come about um, an agreement about how to approach this um, and thinking through those scenarios um, uh, uh, together. Uh, it, and then, you know, fundamentally back to the problems of Earth, I would say that, like, you know, it's part of our core belief that the fundamental um, technologies that underpin in-situ resource utilization or ISRU, it's really living off the land and space, right? It's utilizing the resources where they are instead of bringing them there. Um, and we think that those technologies like um, a power generation, solar power, uh, water processing, uh, oxygen processing, um, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Those are the battery storage technologies. Those are the same technologies that are key to our biggest challenges on Earth. Um, and we think that they can be advanced in the lunar environment um, uh, for use back on Earth and to benefit humanity back on Earth. And so, so that's a lot of what drives us is we, you know, if you look at what we're really doing is processing uh, oxygen uh, at a razor sharp lunar dust. Uh, processing water out of laser sharp uh, lunar dust. Um, you know, uh, I think two of the biggest problems facing humanity over the next century are going to be clean air and clean water. Um, and so, so we think those things are, are are directly tied. Then you look at some of the other pieces of technology, and we think there's a lot of uh, ties there as well to uh, Earth's biggest problems. So, wow, that's that's an interesting answer. And yeah, I agree that that maybe this perspective really can this project rather can bring the best out of of what we want to do is that to accomplish but what are some of the principles you'd like to put forth once we're in space what are some of the values your company believes in rather here on earth and also you know going to the moon yeah yeah um you know so first first uh value is you know we value progress over potential. So it's about getting stuff done. It's not about uh, a theoretical. This is not about kind of sci science experiments. This is about, you know, commercializing technology, being very pragmatic in our approach. Um, you know, uh, solutions need not be overcomplicated if they don't have to be. Um, you know, it's about trust and transparency um, uh, being key, uh, you know, in, in our actions, in our communications, um, in working with others. Um, you know, another value of ours uh, is it takes a village. This is not necessarily like something we're going to do on our own. That would be insane, right? This is about us working with, um, you know, governments, academia, other companies um, uh, around the world, not just in Canada, but around the world 
finding alignment, working together to solve what is a civilization scale challenge. Um, you know, so, so those are some of the uh, uh, key values. We think, um, you know, one is, uh, 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 you know, move with speed and execution, really, because this is about, you know, it's, it's, it's about moving fast. The timelines are very tight, you know, as we kind of talked about from an international perspective. So it's about moving very quickly and then executing on um, the things you've laid out. Uh, and then it's about treading lightly, right? Like, um, you know, uh, treating uh, the lunar environment in the best way possible, thinking through the possible impacts uh, of how we're designing these operations in order to ensure that we are uh, minimizing impacts. Um, you know, we want to uh, uh, process the regolith, the, the lunar dust and process as much uh, material out of it. You know, so uh, a lot of the mining on Earth right now is done. They, you know, take 10% of the material, 5% of the material and throw the rest out, you know. And so I think it, as you can get to a process where uh, we would like to use, you know, as much as 100% of that regolith as possible, mm. um, then that's about efficiency, right? And I think those efficiency tiebacks, you know, if applied to mining on Earth could make mining um, more efficient, use less material relative to what is produced. Um, what are some of the biggest trade-offs between going to space and going to the moon, the risk-reward re ratio for you? Between going to space and going to the moon or like... Um, the, the biggest trade-offs that you see on your endeavor as a whole? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'm not sure it's about like... Uh, trade-offs this is somewhere humanity needs to go um uh we are not going to uh explore the solar system if we don't figure this out we're not going to get you know to mars or any of these things uh at scale if we can't figure this out and and quite frankly you know um we won't we won't scale as an interplanetary species so th this is somewhere the world is going uh, i don't really see it necessarily uh as trade-offs, it's more of an inevitability. It, it's how it happens and ensuring that, you know, it happens in the right way, uh, I think is really the most important. Switching gears a bit, this might be an obvious question, a silly one, but are you optimistic on our future as a species? Yeah, for sure. I, I, I definitely am. I mean, certainly after like the uh, last, uh, you know, 18 months, two years, it's easy to be uh, pessimistic with yeah. uh, humanity's like inability to uh, coordinate action, right? Um, you know, and, and fight amongst ourselves. But uh, I fundamentally, fundamentally believe you really need to just move forward and build and 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 do things that um, you know. No problem is insurmountable. You know, like I think people get lost in this. Uh, you know. Who am I? I am just one person. What can I do? But, you know, everyone can do something. And it, within the span of your life, you know, you touch or indirectly touch the lives of hundreds of thousands of people, yeah. right? Um, you know, if you just think of all the small interactions on a daily basis. And so, you know, I really believe that one person can change the world. And 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 that one person is no one special. That one person is anyone. Mm -hmm. Um you know, that anyone can have impact and it's not necessarily the direct impact, but it's like, you know, that impact you had on that person who had an impact on that person who had an impact on that person, almost like the butterfly effect. Um, you know, I, I really think that um, 
working together, uh, we can solve these great problems of the world. Um, and you know, people really shouldn't be mired down in this kind of like uh, hopelessness of, of who am I, what can I do? Why do my actions matter? Everyone's actions matter, you know, um, and let's just, uh, work together and solve these problems. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll require all of us to be willing to go to space and do it in a responsible manner and just to put forth our best versions of ourselves because it is it is a genuine concern that, you know, we haven't re really matured as a species in the sense of being responsible. So it concerns me that we go out there and as, as we've been talking on this conversation, there's no playbook, only that the playbook that we're creating and... Who's going to follow that playbook? Hopefully, you know, people like you and all of the people who are inspired by you and your and your project with a Canadian Space Mining Corporation becomes the best versions of themselves. Not only nations, but, you know, we're seeing private entities being able to to create their own visions of an interplanetary species. Yeah. Look, I mean, you know, it, it's... Um... You just got to start somewhere. Uh, I, I, when I started the business, I had a friend who reached out to me like, and, and was like, look, why aren't you doing something for uh, uh, the climate instead? You know, and it was like, look, look, we, you know, we think there's a bunch of positive climate impacts. But I was like, look, if you think the climate is, is a problem, um, and, and I also believe that it's a problem, then, you know, just start somewhere. Like, there's no reason that it can't be you. Like, she was asking me, and I was like, there's no reason it can't be you. Just start something. Start doing something about it, um, you know, and and that moves the needle. Like, and every incremental step we take in the right direction, um, you know, collectively together it is what it takes to to move society, right? Um, yeah. What is your vision with the Canadian Space Mining Corporation? Not in terms of of resources, but in terms of timeframes. Are you seeing? Your company flourished to the 2025 time frame that you gave, um, or you're seeing it work until 2030. What's your What's your take? Yeah, I mean, like I we, you know, it's it's a weird uh, industry to be in. I think like there's part of it that you know, uh, my partners and I we talk about you know, in like where we are in in 2025, where we are in 2030 where we think we are in 2035, 2040, you know, so it, there's a mix of like, uh, kind of immediate thinking of our missions and objectives, vision of where we see the moon, you know, the moon is this text texting ground for Mars, right? Um, it's clear that society and, and human civilization is, is going off to Mars. The moon is three days away. Uh, Mars is three months away and that window only happens every couple of years as the planets align. And so, you know, the, the moon is where we scale technology that will be applicable for the human settlement of Mars and exploration of Mars. Um, you know, and, and so we have to think of those timelines. Um, you know, I won't say that like the stuff, there's a, a decrease, marginally decreasing amount of certainty, you know, Uh, as I think about 2040, it's very conceptual. Uh, when I'm thinking about 2025, it's like, you know, very clearly laid out plans of exactly what the missions look like, what we're looking to do, uh, uh, et cetera. So what would be the biggest, the number one victory for you as a company in this, within these five years? 
within the five years, I think, you know, we'd like to be uh, on the moon, um, you know, having proved out a bunch of different technologies, um, you know, such that we can scale them kind of by 2030. So, you know, producing uh, a gram of oxygen on the moon, processing water on the moon, um, you know, and having solved some of the many uh, large but um, uh, problems along the way. Um, yeah. yeah, I think that that's that's where we'd like to be as a company. Yeah, that sounds that sounds amazing. And I, I'm rooting for you. I'm sure everyone who listens to this conversation will root for you as well. And as as you say, Canada has always been the the place to to look at, you know, in terms of <laughs> being responsible. So yes, um Daniel, this has been amazing. Is there anything else, you know, that you want to add in terms of the company, in terms of your perspective? No, look, um, we're leading a mission to the moon. Um, you know, it, it but we can't do it alone. Um, it's gonna take a village, and so we need all the help we can get. We're looking for people uh that are that are sharp, that want to get involved, that want to come work with us. We're looking for partners that think they have, you know, technologies that are applicable to this, um, that want to partner with us. We're looking for investors, you know, we need capital uh to pull this off. So Um, you know, any, all of the above reach out to us through our, you know, Twitter, um, uh, I think Twitter CSMC underscore SCMS, um, on Twitter, I'm Dan at Dan Sachs on, on Twitter or find me on LinkedIn, um, you know, uh, reach out and talk and, um, yeah, we'd love, uh, this is a big problem. It's a collective problem for humanity. And we think there's amazing applications to the technology that will be developed that can help life on earth and and i think a lot of it is you know solving problems in space that'll be applicable to our biggest challenges on earth yeah absolutely and count on me just spreading the word as well adding all of the information in the notes from this show and sending emails and reaching out to people i know Daniel. perfect thank thank you alex uh this is uh it's been such a pleasure to be on here um i really appreciate you having me on here Likewise. Likewise. And I'll looking forward to, you know, hopefully less than five years from now, but do a round two in five years to tell me, hey Alex, here's oxygen from the moon. Here, yeah, that'll be cool. Do it. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Perfect. Thanks.